So we are emphasizing small groups as the video indicates, and I'm going to go to a text in Scripture, Mark chapter 3, that talks about Jesus in a house surrounded by a circle of people. Uh, so you can find that text, and as you do so, I want to let you know that for the next five weeks, starting on September 4th, I'll be preaching from Proverbs chapter 3, which is a great text in the Scripture, the most famous line from it, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, He will make your paths straight. You'll be surprised how much instruction, practical counsel there is for the management of money and possessions in Proverbs chapter 3. So we're going to be talking about better returns. That's uh, part of the vernacular of that chapter. And uh, so we're going to explore that. How do we actually reap better returns? What yields better returns? So I hope that you'll join us for that journey through this marvelous chapter. Now today, concerning small groups, I preached at the seminary on Thursday and uh, brought a message from Mark chapter 2, which also was in a house, and this could be the same house. Verse 31 says, Then Jesus mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus is talking to the crowd that's gathered around him in this setting where they have encircled him. The word when he looks around them is the word peri from which we get periscope and it's a 360 degree kind of turn around him. They have the word circle here which is a Greek word that's probably the root for our word cycle and maybe even circle as well. And Jesus is in this circle. Jesus is deliberately in this circle and not only this one, he has a smaller circle that he creates of 12 people. You know the disciples. He uh, called them to himself. People say, well, the disciples needed to be with Jesus. If they were going to lead the church after Jesus' death and resurrection, they needed to be with him for those three years, and I agree completely with that. The disciples needed to be with Jesus. Would you agree with me that Jesus needed them as well? Would you agree that in his full humanity, he needed a cluster, a support group, and he was very deliberate and systematic about it, and he called them to himself so that they could be with him. That's what the Scripture says. The first impulse of the twelve is so that they could be with him. Jesus needed them. He needed their support. He needed their friendship. He needed their love. He needed them uh, to uh, interact with him, relate to him, travel with that journey. That's just who he was, and it is who you are. So as we study the Scripture today, and we've read this text, and we think about Jesus in the small groups, I want you to think about yourself and what it would mean to you to be part of a small group. And you may have resisted this and been anxious about it, but we've been thinking about and singing about 
doing what God's will is and the, and the Father who is good to us. And here is part of the revealed will of God concerning your human journey, that you would be part of a small group, that you would cluster together with others who are of similar mind and purpose in this world and that they would be your companions in this journey. I was at the Atlantic Ocean for the first time in a while a couple of weeks ago. I was walking along. Actually, my daughter took me for a long walk along the Atlantic uh, seaside there, and she wore me out, really. Uh, she, I had to run a while, and I tell you, that woman is in good shape. And uh, by the time I got done, I was pretty worn out, but I did pick up a few shells. After we got done, there were lots of shells laying there, and I picked up an oyster shell, and I thought to myself, well, this used to be part of a bed, and probably this oyster died or some violence occurred in that bed of oysters and broke loose on its own. And then I picked up a piece of coral, and I thought, well, this used to be part of a reef, and probably some violence occurred, and this became independence on its own and washed up here. And as I looked at the shells that were scattered all over that seaside, I thought, you know, probably most all of these were part of some kind of cluster. And it occurs to me that life forms on this planet cluster together, whether they are doing so in beds or in reefs or in flocks or in herds or in schools. It's just the nature of life on the planet to cluster together, and that's true about humans too. We are not made to be isolated alone, the Lone Ranger all by ourselves. We are made for a life in groups with significant relationships and journeying together with others and the maximum experience of life on this planet, the maximum experience of love, joy, and peace and of our own potential happens as we conform to this reality which just is a truth about us. We need to cluster. So we have this new vocabulary in our small groups on Sunday morning. We have clusters. And a cluster... It's like a circle. We pull together in our circles, in our small groups. I want you to think about today being part of a cluster, part of a small group. The circle, you know, requires proximity. Circles are not like pews or rows. Circles can expand and contract according to who comes into the circle. So if you have more people come in than the circle will allow, you just open it up and scoot some more chairs in there. And if the circle's too big for you to hear as you talk to one another, you just pull it together. The circle expands and contracts. It requires proximity because its intention is communication, knowledge of one another. And so we're encouraging you to move from a pew, from a row, into a circle. And what we mean by that, to move from the large group of worship... We do this every Sunday as a family of faith. We worship together in the large group, and at 8.15, we do the same. And then we have small groups, and that is a second essential component to the life of this family, the life of this body. Now, most of those small groups happen on Sunday morning at 9.30, but some of them also happen on Tuesday and Wednesday we have a whole group of breakfasts, men's breakfasts that occur throughout the week, as well as other kinds of small groups that occur. We even have small groups in our missions, which is the third component of our life as a church. So we have worship, we have small groups, and we have missions. And some of you are part of a very important group in a care effect group with a leader, and you have a task and a purpose. You pray for one another and watch over each other. That, too, is a small group. 
So these circles invite us in, and when we come into them, we've got to sit next to each other. When I was preaching in Mexico, I, I noticed when we had the light going uh, in the field that there would be people who would come into the light, and they would circle up around uh, the uh, preacher in the platform or whatever we had that was the focus, and then there'd be folks who were out on the periphery, and they never would really come into the circle of light. They were just sort of silhouettes and shadows on the edge of the light, and they were there every night. They just stood out there, some of them with their arms crossed, which sort of meant, you know, I'm here, I'm listening, but I'm not coming in, you know. I'm a little worried about you, so I'm not coming into the light, and every uh, meeting has that kind of experience. You have some people who just love to be there. They're glad to be at that place at that time. And there are others who are a little bit anxious about it, and they're sort of out on the periphery. It's an anxious kind of thing to walk into a small group. There's a circle of chairs. If you fall asleep in this big room while I'm talking today, I'll assume you were already tired, and you had probably yawned already, and so you just needed to rest. And probably nobody's even going to notice if that happens, if you were to fall asleep in this room. Unless you fall out of a window like the teenager did in Paul's message. Now, I am very comforted that Paul had one guy that fell asleep, you know, in his sermon. He went a long time. The guy fell asleep, fell out of the window and died. Paul went down there and raised him from the dead. It was a great event, you know. But it started out with him falling asleep in the sermon. Well, if you get in a small group of 12 people, you're not going to fall asleep, are you? I mean, everybody's visible to everybody else. You're in this small group, and you just, you're just not going to fall asleep. There's something about that circle that hinders that, that keeps you from it. You are just too visible to do that. So the circle invites you in, and it makes you proximate one to another. And it draws you in as you, as you participate. The circle has that power. As it, as it shrinks down to accommodate everybody... And folks get eye to eye, and they begin to talk. The circle kind of draws you in. And your anxiety about the circle, about the small group, may in part be that you, you know that truth. You know that if you sit down in the circle at some point, you may want to ask a question. I had somebody ask me a question this week, and they prefaced the question by saying, no, this, this may not be a very smart question, but I want to ask it anyway. Even questions were a little bit intimidated to ask. But if you were to decide today, you know, I want to be part of a small group. I'm going to join one of these small groups. I'm going to cluster together like Jesus did. I see that in the Scriptures. I see that in the example of the Savior who was the perfect Lamb of God, and yet He needed this small group. So I, I get it. So as a call from God, following the example of Jesus, I'm going to try to be part of a small group. But you have this anxiety because you know you're going to ask the question. At some point, you're going to say, well, I have a question. I don't know if it's a good question. And the question reveals a little bit about who you are. And it, it may be a question that you're afraid it's going to reveal that you don't know very much about the Bible. So I want to relieve all your anxieties about Bible knowledge now, okay? And just tell you that you don't have to know anything about the Bible to be part of a small group here at First Baptist New Orleans, okay? We have a wide range of knowledge about the Bible in all the different groups, and you don't have to know anything, and there are lots of people who are new to the Scriptures who are in the small groups. So you can ask a question, and if you ask that question, it's going to be a good question, like this question was that the person thought might be a dumb one. 
No, it was in fact a good question, and you'll be asking it for other people. But when you ask the question, it is going to reveal a little bit about you. It draws you in. See, that's the nature of the circle. It draws you in. Now, now Jesus says that these folks in the circle are his brothers and sisters and mothers. Did you catch that? I mean, that's a pretty profound statement. He uses this opportunity where his mother and his brothers have come to get him. They think he may be a little off his rocker. It's just the truth. It's in the chapter earlier. You can read it. They're afraid that he might be out of his mind, and so they're coming to get him. And they think, we need to protect him. We're his family. Let's go get him. Uh, I don't know why they stand outside of the house, maybe because it's just jammed full like it was in Mark 2 when they brought the paralyzed man. They couldn't even get in the house. Maybe that's how the house is this time as well. And so Jesus and uh, his mother and his brother stay outside, and they send somebody in. I don't know if this person is willing to climb over other people or just push through the crowd or whatever, but he gets in there and he tells them, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. So Jesus takes this opportunity to tell us something very important about small groups, about the people who encircle you. When you sit down in the circle, let me tell you about these folks. You know about the intimate relationship you have with your mother. And if it's healthy, the great relationship you have with your brother or your sister. I saw my brothers this past week, and we have a great relationship. We do a lot. We talk every week, me and my brothers. It's important. Jesus says that's how it is with people who do God's will. So what he's saying is, look, you're not on your own in trying to do God's will. You think you are. Maybe you're by yourself at work and you feel like you're the only Christian in your office suite or in your classroom or whatever that may be. And it feels sort of isolated. But what you need to know is this. There are people who are also seeking to follow God and do His will in other places and you can cluster with them together and you can draw strength from one another. God wants you to understand that the brothers and the sisters and even the mothers are other people who are doing God's will. And this can be a very vital and important relationship for you. It can be like family. I learned this morning as I read the morning paper that there are 28 million single baby boomers who have no children and are entering the age of retirement. And a single lady who's 63 wrote about her experience with her mother who is 94, and she dropped out of her professional life because her mother needed her down in Florida where she and her dad had moved because they thought they wanted to retire to Florida. And as soon as they got there, the father died and left the mother there. And now she's trying to go down there and take care of her mother. And she writes about how it feels to be a single adult living in a brand new place without the support system that you maybe once had back home, or in this case, it was in New York, and now she's living in Florida. And she's, she's saying, you know, we've got to learn how to form intentionally new groups of people who are our friends and, and who operate like family with us because there's 28 million of us who are single, and it's like a tsunami that's coming to our culture. And I would say to you, it's already arrived. And too many of us are living isolated and alone. And there's an intentional way to connect with other people significantly, deeply, with intimate relationships that support one another. And it is through the clusters in your faith family. 
There are many of us men who now meet weekly with other men in breakfast meetings. I've been doing this at Russell's Grill so long, they dedicated a booth to me down there. If you go to Russell's Grill, you can find the Dr. Crosby booth. Actually, Michael Larson put that up there on my 50th birthday, which was some years ago. But I've been meeting in that little booth with three or four men for a long time. And we just have coffee and breakfast sometimes, and we pray for one another, and we give our prayer requests. We talk about what's on our heart, what our day uh, is unfolding to be, and the challenges that we're facing. I've done that ever since City Drug back in 1981 when I sat down in that booth so many years ago. And through Houston and Temple and here now in New Orleans for these 20 years, I have met with a few men and we have shared and prayed together and it means a lot to me. And today, we have it set up, men, for you to go to the lobby after this message and say, I'd like to be part of a breakfast group that meets and has coffee and prays together. And we're going to try to facilitate some connections, all right? So that it's not just maybe half a dozen breakfast groups, but maybe a dozen or more. And Taylor came up with this idea. And Taylor, thank you for preaching for me last week, brother. Did a great job, and I'm grateful for Taylor, all right? And Taylor said, let's just go ahead and be intentional about helping us get into some breakfast groups as men. So, men, I'm encouraging you, if you're not part of, of a cluster of, of men, go ahead by the table afterward and see if we can't connect you to somebody with whom you can share your heart, okay? Now, doing this, being in a small group on Sunday morning or in a breakfast meeting on Tuesday morning or whatever, that's going to draw you into relationships. And those relationships are part of the way God matures you. And in these circles, God is going to open your mouth and open your ears because the circle encourages dialogue. I hope that when I preach, it's what they call dialogical, that you're having a conversation with me and, and you're sort of thinking back at the things that I'm throwing out there because that's healthy, that's good. But when you sit down with four or five people, conversation really happens. You know, they say that scientists don't really understand where human speech came from. They don't confess that God created humans, and so the idea of speech is really hard to understand from a scientific point of view. I think it's just God's gift unto us. I believe that we are made in the image of God, and part of being made in the image of God is that we can communicate in abstract thought, one with another. We can formulate things that that turtles can't do and armadillos can't do and even dolphins out in the sea aren't really gathering this morning talking about the purpose and meaning of life. That is only the human species that does this. And so when we get together and our ears are pointed toward one another and our mouths are pointed toward each other and we're making eye contact, we're going to talk. And you're going to have some great questions in that small group. Jesus had some great questions. That's what startled the teachers at the synagogue when Jesus was 12. It was not his lectures. It was his questions. He had amazing questions for a 12-year-old. You've got some wonderful questions. And you'll throw those out in the group. And the dialogue is going to help you grow up in Christ. The dialogue happens in the small group intentionally. We're encouraging you to talk to one another about your journey in the Christian life, how you're doing. 
There's always a focus in a circle. And in the circle we read about here, Jesus is the focus. These folks have congregated in the house. They're sitting down, not in chairs, but probably on the ground or on their heels or cross-legged on uh, the floor, whatever. They are seated around him because he is the focus of this group. So I want to talk to you for a minute who are the focus of a group. I know what it feels like to be the person who's sort of in charge of calling the circle together. I know what that feels like. Uh, I am going to be starting up again a home group in our neighborhood in just a couple of weeks. And I know that I'm going to walk in there with the Bible and maybe with my guitar. And I'm going to sort of be the one that sort of says, okay, it's time to go. And here's what we're going to do. So facilitating a group, being part of the focus of a group is a little bit intimidating. But I want to encourage you that you can do it, okay? That it is very possible for you to be the one to sort of take charge in a small group, either a children's group, a youth group, or an adult group, and that you are well-equipped to facilitate that and to make that happen. That small group doesn't need expertise from you, and you don't have to have comprehensive knowledge of the Scripture or anything to facilitate that group. Just the willingness to say, okay, here's where we're gathered. Let's pull together. I remember as a boy when my father did this in the home in El Paso. It's one of my earliest memories. In fact, I guess the earliest memory I have of a small group is in a home where my father opened the Scriptures while he was just sitting on the couch. And I, as a very active eight- or nine-year-old, sometimes I'd sit there and sometimes I'd run off and do other things. But I remember my father being the focus of that group as he taught in that home. So whether it's in your house, whether it's in the church facility here at 9.30, whether it's a breakfast meeting that you are facilitating, God can use you to do that. I want to encourage you and tell you, it is very, very important what you feel on your heart, the thing that you're doing at the prison with the care effect as you take the leadership in that small group. It is vitally important, and people's lives are changed because you are willing to be the focus, even though it's intimidating, even though it causes some anxiety, even though you have to prepare more than maybe somebody else that comes, it is a great thing that you're doing. And teachers, I want to thank you and commend you for stepping up to teach in that second grade or in that four-year-old class. It's a great thing that you're doing. I stuck my head into about half a dozen children's classes this morning. I saw the children there, and I know Mr. Billy is prepared. He's going to share the scriptures today like he has for 30 years in the third grade. The man is stuck in the third grade. But I'm glad that you're there, Brother Billy, along with my wife and Scott and Marie and many others helping out in that particular class. And your classes are so important. I hope that you pray for your students, for those who who come to the class. I hope that you remember them before the Lord, that you take seriously their condition spiritually. I hope that you're checking on them in ways that you can. Because the real focus of any small group at First Baptist New Orleans is the same focus that we read about in this text. The focus is Jesus. What we're trying to do is introduce people to the Lord of glory. And we want him to be the focus of the group. So whether we're opening the text, whether we're praying, whether we're talking together, whether we're serving on mission at the Oz or wherever we are in the prison or nursing home, the focus is Jesus. Jesus is the heart of who we are. It's, he's the one uh, whom we adore. 
And we are Jesus' people in every expression of this family of faith. On Wednesday morning, we are excited to share about what God's doing in our life and the challenges we have to pray for one another because Jesus is the answer to our need. Now, we teach, we say, to transform. And if you read Jesus and you see what Jesus does, Jesus does not give people simplistic answers. What Jesus does is make them think. Sometimes he is still the master of the question. They ask him a question, he asks another question back to them. They give him an answer, he's got another question for them. Jesus wants people to think. Jesus is calling them out with the questions because he wants them to change the way they behave. Jesus is seeking to have a decision. He wants people to decide whether they're going to do what he says or not. So you leave Jesus' presence either shaking your head saying, man, I don't know how in the world I'd ever do that. Or you leave saying, this is what I've got to do. And we are teaching to transform here at First Baptist New Orleans. And I want you to know that transformation happens in small groups, okay? God uses small groups to change who we are. You say, how does that happen? Number one, this is what I think is number one. It is the informal accountability of the small group that you are part of. God uses those guys who look over my shoulder to make sure that I understand how important it is for me to be faithful. God uses that small group to remind me I'm not on my own, I'm not by myself. Somebody's watching and somebody cares and somebody's praying for me. There's an accountability when you pray with people, when you meet with people. There's an accountability and you can't just leave that meeting and go out and just act in a way that's inconsistent with your faith and, and violate the word and will of God because those faces are floating in your mind and your heart and you know you've got a responsibility to this cluster of people who care about you and they're praying for you. So that's number one. There's accountability that comes with being part of a small group. And everybody in this room, the preacher included, needs accountability. So God's going to do that in your life. It's going to be amazing what you learn from one another as you share in a small group. You'll hear from them about the, the challenges they face at work, and you'll see courage, integrity, honesty, determination in the people that you're meeting with. And the scripture says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's actually in the Bible. You can look it up, all right? And it's about how the iron of our character shapes the character of our friends. And as we meet together and talk together and pray for one another, we change each other. We grow together. Iron sharpens iron. There's a third way in which being part of a small group will grow you in Christ. Oftentimes you feel like you're alone in your pain and nobody knows what you're going through. I know that's true because I know that everybody in this room has pain, you have fears, you have troubles, and it's happening in your life. And sometimes you think you're all by yourself. 
And a small group will help you realize this truth. Everybody hurts. Everybody's hurting. When you get the prayer request, you'll find out this man's mother has cancer. And his sister is in trouble. And it's on his heart. And you suddenly realize you're not by yourself in the trouble that's come upon you or the pain that you're dealing with. Everybody deals with that. And sometimes you feel like you're a failure, that you're the only one who just can't seem to walk the walk. You just can't live the Christian life and you feel like you're the only one. Everybody else down there at the church, they're doing so well, but, but you, you, you fall every week. And you think you're all by yourself in that. And then you get in a small group and you realize, no, everybody in this group fails. Everybody in this group stumbles. Everybody has challenges. Everybody has failures. That's just part of life. The devil loves to isolate you and make you think you're on your own, in your pain, and in your failure. And you're just a a poor example of a Christian. And nobody's as poor as you. And everybody at church got it all together. And all those are just lies. Everybody at church doesn't have it all together. We're all fellow strugglers dealing with difficulties and hardships and, yes, besetting sins that seem to get control of us and we cannot shake. And that's just part of who we are, every one of us. And we learn that in the small group. God's going to grow you up this year. God's going to change who you are. It may not be instantaneous, but it's going to be palpable how being part of a small group, entering into this relationship of accountability, will actually change you from the inside out, develop your character in ways that will surprise you, instruct you in the gospel in ways you can't get just by reading the text. In the interaction with people, you will learn better who Jesus is who you are, and how you can serve him more faithfully. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for one another. Thank you for the people in this room, my brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to love one another and care for each other. God, I pray for a a new wave of clusters at First Baptist New Orleans. I pray for the woman who feels by herself that, Lord, you will help her know how to deliberately create a support group. Help her to take the lead. God, I pray for the man who feels like he doesn't see anybody throughout the week until he comes to worship. Lord, I pray that you would draw him in to a group that can support him, pray for him. God, I pray this because I know you'll make us stronger and healthier in you. That you'll give us strength for the day and courage to face the challenges of life as we cluster together and pray for one another, think about each other, and support each other. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be part of small groups. Lord, do it in our lives so that we may serve you better. In Jesus' name we pray.